This episode is brought to you by Obermeyer Wood Investment Council, an independent investment advisory and financial planning firm based in Aspen and Denver with roots dating back to 1982. Their team of experienced investors, thoughtful financial advisors, and focused problem solvers have helped hundreds of individuals, families, and nonprofits identify and achieve goals using sound advice, careful planning, and clear communication. They are locally based experts, dedicated community members, and proud sponsors of Selling the Mountains. Obermeyer Wood would like to offer all listeners a complimentary, no pressure investment portfolio review with one of their experienced team members. To schedule a review or to learn more about their services, visit obermeyerwood.com. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Christian Knapp. This is Selling the Mountains, a show about the booming mountain town real estate economy and unique personalities fueling it. Each episode is an insider's perspective on market trends, lifestyle, success stories, and the ups and downs of home ownership in the mountains. Christian Knapp is the former chief marketing officer of Aspen Skiing Company and a lifelong mountain town enthusiast. He is an accomplished marketing and sales leader who has worked for the top resorts in North America, including Aspen, Vale, Breckenridge, and Keystone. Currently, Christian is an independent consultant and principal at Moment of Truth, a boutique marketing firm specializing in brand development, strategic planning, and digital execution. All opinions expressed by Christian and podcast guests are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of the companies or clients they represent. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for real estate investment decisions. My guest today is Tom Sherlock. Tom has been building and remodeling homes in the Roaring Fork Valley for over 20 years and is the founder and principal of SH Building Group. As a boutique firm, SH Built limits the number of projects they take on each year, allowing them to stay focused on their clients' needs to ensure every project is held to a rigorous standard. Tom is involved in daily operations and oversees the successful completion of every project. Together with his team, SH Built has remodeled over 400,000 square feet of commercial and residential spaces in Aspen, Snowmass Village, and the Roaring Fork Valley. In our conversation, we discuss what it takes to transition from a startup construction company in the mountains to a successful firm that can compete with the established builders while providing stability for both their clients and team members. Also, how to unlock the value of a home with a remodel or basement addition in an up-and-coming neighborhood. Lastly, we talked about how planning ahead for a major project before permits are issued can make a huge difference when it comes to organization, preparation, timelines, and creativity of the finished product. I hope you enjoy this great conversation with Tom. This episode is brought to you by One Snowmass Residence Club, located in the heart of the new Snowmass Space Village. This limited collection of ski and scout residences lets you choose any ownership plan that fits your family's lifestyle. With two, three, and four bedroom options available, you can select the size that makes sense for you and how much time you want to spend in Snowmass. Customize the perfect ownership with guaranteed use at specific times of the year, plus unlimited use of three additional types of long or short-term reservations. And the revolutionary exit strategy allows you and the other owners in your shared residence to voluntarily sell the unit as whole ownership and distribute the proceeds proportionally. An online reservations portal, housekeeping, and concierge services plus resort-style amenities means smarter mountain living. To learn more, visit One Snowmass Residence Club Okay, so there's an old adage, kind of a a rule of thumb that if you're contemplating a remodel, you should plan on doubling your budget 
and doubling your timeline. Is that true? Um, I don't know. I don't know that I've heard that adage, but <laughs> I, I would say there's certainly a, a, you know, propensity to have some scope creep or, you know, they say the most expensive words in remodeling is might as well, but there is a lot of that, right? You open up a wall and you, you, you don't know what you're going to find back there. And it's like, well, we've got to make it right. We've got to fix it. Or, you know, if you're replacing the boiler, well, you might as well replace humidification that goes along with that system. I, I don't know that you would double it all across the board. Um, I haven't really seen that happen. I mean, I've seen it happen on occasion, but I think it's discipline and, a, and an expectation of, uh, you know, knowing what people's goals are, you know, right? We've got to understand, are you looking to just spend a certain amount of money or you, do you have goals of bringing this house up to today's standard across the board? You know, that's when you, you've got to do a lot more exploratory to understand what you're looking at. Well, it probably pays to hire a professional, I'm sure. You know, and I think a lot of these, you know, DIY projects probably end up being the ones that uh, people where there's scope creep, if you will. Uh, that definitely is the case. I, you know, I've heard of, uh, I've had a lot of friends that have called me and saying, can you give me a plumber that's going to show up? I keep calling these guys and they don't show up or, or, you know, I tried to do this myself. And I've spent this much money trying to put the tile in and now I need to redo it. So can you come help me with this? And so, you know, DIY definitely can be a money pit, but sometimes that's part of the fun as well, I guess. <laughs> so if you were looking, you know, if you're going to give advice to somebody and they were going to get into the mountain building construction business, what should they know before they enter this field? Well, first of all, it, you really need to understand how to build in the mountains because it's not a, your typical building environment. There's a lot of complexities to ground conditions, underground conditions, um, snow loads, wind loads, the engineering of a home in the mountains, R values, and you know, designed for heating and cooling. Believe it or not, it's a very complex set of parameters to build what people think of as a typical home, but in, in to get that product in such an environment with extremes that we have, it takes a lot more. It's not just as simple as building a home in, you know, in, in a rural area of Pennsylvania where conditions aren't that extreme. You know, the, we, we get some extreme conditions here. The engineering that goes into these homes is, is quite elaborate and quite complex, takes a long time to dial in. You've got to have the trusted subcontractors to do that work. You've got to understand the systems yourself and be able to set expectations for clients so that their understanding of these of the situations and, and how these systems work and you know that they do require maintenance and upkeep. And just, you know, making sure that you really understand how complex of a of a of a world this is to build in. Let's back up a little bit and I would love to understand how you got into the construction business here in the Valley. Talk, talk us through that process of when you got into the business to today where you are the owner of a construction company here in the mountains. Uh, we're, we're, I'm, I'm a little different than, than, than some here. I you know, grew up in the construction industry, uh, worked on job sites since I was 15 years old in the summertime, you know, with my father. And, you know, I feel like in my father's eyes, he, he was in construction and he was, he was hoping to, you know, sway me from going into construction by showing me how challenging it is and, and how, you know, difficult 
the situations are and hoping that I would, you know, study to, to do something different. But when I moved to the Valley, I, I had used that experience to, to, to kind of fit into the Valley. There's not, there's not too many things you can do in a resort town. Most of the stuff is either resort or service or, or real estate driven around here. And so you're either working in the ski industry or in the service industry, restaurants and such, or in the real estate industry, which is, I feel where construction falls in. And so I naturally gravitated towards the construction industry because of my background to the dismay of my father, who, you know, has since become, you know, happy and proud and actually loves to come out here and, and visit our projects and actually work alongside me sometimes. And, and all the guys in our company know who Joe is and he comes and brings a, good dynamic to the to the group now and he feels you know like like things are good um i'm using my business degree to manage a company and and manage you know very large projects that mean a lot to people and it really i you know when i moved to the valley i first went to the ski company and worked a little bit you know there worked for the ski school and, and actually it was great because it gave me a good background in skiing and I was able to work my way up through the PSIA training and got to train with great people and learn how to ski proficiently myself. Being from New Jersey, I wasn't exactly a, you know, expert skier, but having gone through that, I feel like it really helped me gain an understanding of, you know, skiing and ski life and the industry and, you know, what it, what it feels like to live in a resort. And it's really what this place is about. We're a ski town and um, I feel really supportive of of us being a ski town and so but so i needed to do something in the summer times so started out you know in the painting and remodeling and carpentry and doing decks and that led to a little bit more of a you know siding project and then replace the windows and then can you do the full remodel and then can you build some new homes and so it's been a it's been a slow and gradual process which uh, we haven't grown too quickly. We've been at it since about 2000. Um, we were initially Sherlock Holmes. Now we're, we've evolved into SH Building Group, which is, uh, you know, I feel like a step forward. We've, we've refined our management system and um, have really taken a, a look at how to manage projects uh, for people who don't live here. And I think that's, you know, where the industry is going. We do a lot of online management and I'm, I'm still pulling from my background of knowing what to look for on a job site when I do a project walkthrough, but also developing and growing, you know, using my business degree to, to help, you know, continue the growth of our company and stay current with, with technology and, and stuff like that. So it's exciting and, and, and frustrating and, and, you know, can be fun, but also can be really difficult, I'll, you know, Every day is, is a challenge, but it's also rewarding because we get to do some really neat stuff around here. Tom, you said that your path to becoming a builder owner of a construction company is not the typical path. What is the typical path um, that you've seen in a, in a mountain town environment? Um, I, I don't know. I don't know. That it, I don't know exactly that it's a, atypical, but um, I feel like there's, there's a lot of the bigger builders here come with uh, either, you know, a, a large background of uh, funding and, and capability to, you know, carry the carry a project um, or carry a, a company and they, they kind of jump right into it and they're instantly 
a building company taking on multi-million dollar projects um, versus, you know, we kind of started with a paint job and then, you know, moved into a condo remodel and a siding job and then slowly evolved into the building group that can handle major projects. And um, I feel that that, you know, is a little atypical of the stories I've heard of other other builders around. Um, I feel like, you know, we're, we're competing with some of the bigger companies in town or some of the biggest companies in town you know that that's rewarding and challenging and a little intimidating at times but it you know is it's also fulfilling and and i feel like you know i i i've i go to work every day thinking about you know the, the my family and 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 the families of the people that are working for me and i feel a great um um i don't know a, a, a kind of a, a responsibility to them and to make sure everybody's compensated well and providing for our clients well and um, you know, that kind of stuff. So I, I just, I feel like I, as being, having grown up in it, doing it my entire life, pretty much it's uh, it's, it's, it's just kind of ingrained in me. So over that time from starting the company back in 2000 ish, what are the fundamental changes you've seen in the roaring fork Valley from a construction standpoint in that time frame? The projects have, you know, changed in scope. There's certainly certainly less lots to build new homes on, so there's a lot more remodeling. The requirements of uh, the city and county agencies have changed and evolved to, you know, protect the the nature of and and I guess the character of of the towns. There, there's been a lot more regulation placed on the construction world um, as far as well recycling if you're going to if you're going to demo a home say you, you've got to recycle most of it or show that you're doing it in some way there's a lot of you know testing that needs to get done and a lot of planning and stuff like that so i think the clientele's probably changed a little bit we're seeing a great resurgence of or a, a great surge in different demographic than i feel like we've had in the past so there's a lot of new, you know, people that haven't spent a lot of time here. I think it, it feels like it's a, a changing of the a tide change here. It's, I don't know. It's, it's a, it's a challenging question to sit down and analyze. It's a big one. <laughs> no, it is a big one. I ask a lot of my guests that, you know, kind of, I guess the bigger question really is, you know, have you, do you think the Valley and Aspen has fundamentally changed because of the pandemic and this, this buying craze and a lot of these part-timer, you know, residents moving in more full-time and, you know, just the continued demand for a mountain home here in the Valley. Is it, is it changing the fabric of our community? I, I mean, obviously it is, but it, I don't know that it's a, it, it's, it's, you know, it's not really a bad thing. I feel like there are people moving here full time, which is a good thing for communities. You know, the West End used to be a transient neighborhood, and now it's becoming a very, it's a community there, you know, where the off season would hit and the town would go vacant. We live in Snowmass and we would see, you know, complete drop off. Now you drive up Brush Creek Road in the evening and you can still see most of the lights up on Wood Road and far away are, are lit up. It's still, people are still here in the off season, you know, and I know that a lot of people feel like, well, there is, there is value in having the off season because that's what we've been used to. 
but there's also having grown up where I grew up, it's nice to know that your neighbors are there. And it, I just feel like there's some benefit to having people here full time. That's a, it's a good thing, you know, and I think that eventually, hopefully everyone will become neighborly and, and accepting and embraced each other. And, and it'll become more of a community than a resort. And I feel like that could be a benefit in the long term, as long as it happens that way where we all, you know, embrace each other and work together and become a community and, you know, uplift the kids and, and each other and, and all of our efforts around here. This episode is brought to you by Vector Bank Colorado. Are you looking to buy a new home? Or perhaps you are planning to refinance, renovate, or build? Carrie Coleman and the team at Vector Bank can help, offering traditional mortgages, home equity loans, refinance options, and construction loans of all sizes. Vector is ready to help with your next project. A unique product to Vector Bank is the one-time close loan, where you can simplify the building or remodeling process by combining your construction financing and permanent mortgage into one application one credit approval, and one closing process. Save time, money, and hassle by eliminating the need for reapproval at the end of your construction loan. Check them out at VectraBank.com. All loans are subject to credit approval. Terms and conditions apply. See a banker for details. Equal housing lender, NMLS number 467014. VectraBank is a division of Zions Bank Corporation, NA, member FDIC. Let's talk a little bit about where the clients are coming from. So you and I have talked before, you know, referrals obviously is the number one source of business, right? You do a good job for a client, they're going to refer you to another person or a friend or somebody else that needs a project done um, here in the Valley. And I think some of those referrals can certainly come from brokers and architects and other professionals. How do you approach that um, business development um, process and how do you cultivate those relationships? It, it, it stems from our local brokers, property managers, real estate attorneys, and stuff like that, who have faith that will take care of their client. And we not only feel, you know, the reliance to take care of the client, but we're taking care of that referral. If an architect refers us, they they feel like they can work with us and we'd serve their client well. You know, we really want to make sure that that the person who referred us is proud that they referred us and we do right by them so that they continue to refer us. And I feel like maintaining those relationships are really important as, as much so as doing a good job for the, the client at the end of the day, because that's, you know, we might get that client back uh, or we might get a good referral from them. They might do a, a remodel in 10 years. They might tell, you know, one or two or five friends, but, you know, the broker who closes deals 10 at a time or 10 a month or, or whatever it may be, that's really our, our referral. So we, we try to take really good care of their clients so that they, you know, know that we'll do that for them. So as a, as a builder working with tons of clients and investors right now, you know, where, where do you see the biggest value in this crazy hot market? You know, you know, there's a lot of people doing remodels of, you know, bringing homes up to current standards. There's some new home construction. Where do you think the most upside is right now for a potential home buyer? Well, that's a tough question, Christian. I, I feel like, you know, it's easy to say go to the Snowmass Market or to Woody Creek or Brush Creek Village or one of the outlying parts of of the core of Aspen or even East Aspen. 
but with the the fact that the market could turn at any time it's really difficult to advise someone to do that because that's obviously going to be the first neighborhood or segment of this market to decline when 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 the tides do change and you know i guess as far as the value goes i feel like you know there could be some value in finding a a home or a project or a condominium even that does need some work there's there's certainly plenty of homes in aspen that could have a basement installed the value outweighs what the costs end up being to build that so you know if you can find a property that's on the market that needs a basement that doesn't have a basement currently that square footage is exempt from the square footage allowed on that property so you know if you can build that square footage for less than what it would be worth if once completed there's obviously some value built in built into that equation um, that's you know something we've done quite a bit and i've seen some great success in that market and we've also seen you know taking some risk on you know east aspen has become you know the next big neighborhood to, to kind of explode in aspen um, there's over towards smuggler there's some value happening but certainly there's there's starting to be nice homes going up in brush creek village woody creek's always been a, a big you know kind of niche kind of kind of neighborhood or, or area of town it's you know for the people who don't mind being a little further out of town um, or even starwood you know you're a little further out of town but you know you, you've got great views you if you could build the you know, build the resort type home that people are starting to build nowadays. It, it kind of makes everything a little more like a compound where you can live there and spend a lot more time there and not have to be in town as much. So I don't know. It's a difficult one. That's if I knew I'd, I'd, I'd be, you know, much wealthier. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, I think that is, I mean, it's something I've been asking a lot in the show is sort of, you know, what, how long do you think this cycle is going to last? And, you know, kind of what are your fears for the next year, or for the next two years, given this cycle we're in right now today? I, I don't have a lot of fears necessarily. I guess the biggest fear is, you know, what happens when, if, if this bubble decides to burst where people don't love Aspen as much as they thought they were going to, I feel like the market is much stronger than the last surge we had in the 0708 you know market when that was mainly fueled by the wrong types of mortgages and and you know you know just it was poorly fueled i feel like this surge is a little more uh true it's 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 being fueled by people who are capable to work from from you know remotely and they they feel you know the, that they can move safely move away to the mountains and work here and and do most of their work remotely of course they're going to need to fly home uh wherever that may be new york or la or you know wherever and it could be uh, one of those trips that they do twice a month or something but um for the most part they can operate from here and enjoy a great lifestyle and it's it seems like it's a much more honest uh approach to the surge of why why things are are much more you know, why the market's so hot right now. You know, I've seen a lot of reporting around the stratospheric pricing increases on lumber, building supplies in general, 
the inability to even get apply, you know, high level appliances for six months out due to supply chain issues. I'm hearing that's driven up costs of construction projects. It's causing delays. What has it been like for you as a builder in the mountain community? And how are these supply chain issues impacting your business? It's definitely increasing, you know, cost of construction. And we're, we're trying to set those expectations as far as, you know, when orders are required to be placed in order to get them on time, you know, a, a sub zero takes six months to get, well, we need to get that thing ordered today if we want it in December. That's a challenge. And it's a, it's a challenge from a design perspective. And it's also a challenge from a construction management perspective. But I think as long as the, you know, expectations are set and everybody's on the same page, I feel like it, it keeps everybody a little more level-headed because everybody's aware of where things are at. And we're mainly our job is then to strategize around the challenges we're being faced with. And as a construction management group, that's our that's our job. In reality, we don't you know, we don't we're not swinging hammers. We're managing projects. So we're managing the guys swinging the hammers. We're making sure we can meet the goals. And sometimes we might have to do something before we would have typically done something else. But that's part of management, right? You're, you're just working on solutions, we're solving problems and. Um, it hasn't been a, a major, major setback in any p- particular project, knock on wood, but you know, we're, we're trying to stay ahead of it so that we can avoid those situations. Can you give us some kind of ballpark as to how much it's increased the cost per square foot for building right now for somebody looking to build in the Valley? It's a tough one to say because it's typically the wood framing and stuff like that is where we've seen the major cost increase. Um, appliances haven't gone up too much. I'd say, you know, across the board, it's probably a, you know, five to 10% increase, but then lumber can be looked at separately. That's a, that's gone up three X almost, but, you know, tiles maintain pretty stat, uh, steady solid surfaces like countertops and uh, drywall and stuff like that has stayed pretty steady. And I think it's just, you know, kind of offsets with, with that lumber pricing. That's, that's been our main driver for the cost increase. So as you spread it out across the project, it doesn't seem to affect it, you know, in the three X kind of realm, it's more, you know, get the kind of, it kind of, uh, you get the economy of scale and play where that's a small piece of the project, right? The lumber's 10% of the cost of a project. So it's not a major um, I mean, it is a, somewhat of a major cost category, but it is certainly not the majority of the cost of the project. What about labor? You know, everyone's talking about how they're just, you know, not being able to find enough workers uh, right now in this economy coming out of COVID, you know, just there's the workers just aren't there in these towns. And, and I think that's been exacerbated by the lack of affordable housing and sort of the pandemic and everything that shifted there. Are you finding that in the construction trade? Is it just really, really hard to get um, good workers and good subcontractors? No, you know, that that hasn't really affected us too much. We've we've, I mean, we're really lucky. We have great relationships with subcontractors that we've worked with for a long time. And I, I feel, I understand what you're saying. And I, and I've heard the same thing, but I feel like that's more service industry related. Whereas I think tradesmen, their cost of, of the trade may be going up a little bit. You know, it's not a huge jump We're we're maybe paying a couple dollars more per hour to keep people interested and to keep them on our projects. Uh, but the work is is very 
um, plentiful. And I, and, and, you know, like we say in the industry, when you got to make hay when the sun is shining. So these guys are out working weekends. We've got two projects and in, in, in full steam here on Memorial day weekend, you know, and guys are, are hungry to make some money that I think, you know, the, it was a bit of a hit all way, all year. And they realized that, you know, the fall has been strong and it's carrying into the, into the winter and the spring here. And, and I feel like, you know, we're picking up momentum and things are, we haven't had a problem getting people to come to work. That's for sure. We've actually seen it be much more flexible. People are much more accepting of, you know, putting in an extra five hours or working a Saturday or something like that. So it, I think it's been a little bit of the opposite for, in, in at least for our experience so far. Okay. So you have a client, they've, they've signed off, you're starting that project with them. Talk us through the collaborative process you use, both for your client themselves, as well as the other vendors you're working with. I mean, there's certainly, I'm sure there's architects, engineers, right. interior designers, all those different facets of a major project that you're undertaking. How does that process work? How do you manage all those different people? So we have a, a online-based uh, software construction management platform that we use. It's, you know, it, 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 it puts everything into a single use location where clients, architects, engineers, subcontractors, our construction management team, everybody accesses the same platform. And that that's what we start to fill with information. So from day one, we start with a bit of an onboarding training program for our clients. We have a business manager who works with our clients and our new architects or new engineers, designers who are unfamiliar with our platform. And they, he makes sure that they are you know, fully downloaded on how things work. From there, we, we begin the process of entering the daily logs of what's happening both on the planning of the project. If we're on the site, we're, we're entering photos and, and you know, the, the, the trades that were on site that day and, and that information during pre-construction we begin building the database for this project with RFIs, which are requests for information. And once, you know, an architect or an engineer or a designer or somebody who needs to answer questions for us are active on the site, they are, you know, assigned a, a question. They enter the answer right on the platform and it's there and, and it's cataloged as a, you know, construction document. It becomes a milestone in the project and, we can then build from there and we start to work through the plans. We enter all the plans into our uh, Bluebeam takeoff system, which allows us to understand how many square feet of drywall there is or tile there is or you know, framing materials, how much concrete, how much dirt has to be dug up and exported. So all that stuff is analyzed and it's cataloged and it's priced out for very accurate budgeting. And then um, we use that information to generate the, the RFIs, the questions of the project. And if we're given that time at the beginning of the project, that's where we feel like the biggest benefit for clients is because they can, we can really help manage their budget or their schedule or the quality of the project much better knowing this information, giving us the time to dive into the project before it's go time. Because if you're jumping onto a project and we've done it many times because it's not unheard of where you jump onto a project and, and they have a permit, they're ready to go and they just want you to start. You're, you're figuring things out on the fly 
and a million things are happening on the job site. But we also need a hundred things that happen on the, you know, behind the scenes in the office. So if we can have those things happening before the project starts, it really gives, you know, gives breathing room to, to figure things out because we come up with a lot of different scenarios where we're like, well, here's the situation. This is what the plans say. Here's the ramifications of that, that plan. And, and this is how we get it done. Are you okay with this? Or do we need to make changes to that? And it's, gives us that headroom and that time to make changes if necessary, or just to get people's heads wrapped around what's needed to get things done. So when clients bring us on, we really like to have that time to build the database very organically and, and from the ground up and make it grassroots, start working with the design team on the RFI process. And it gives everyone a, the ability to have a little more relaxed startup on the project versus we need these answers now. We need these answers by the end of the week or within two weeks because that becomes very pressure oriented and it's not the best environment for anybody. We're certainly used to managing that, but it makes the process much more enjoyable when there's when there's ample time. And that permit time is the perfect time for that because you're sitting there waiting, you know, sitting on your hands waiting for your permit, but we can really get the project going in those three to six to nine months, whatever it takes to get your permit. So I feel like that's, you know, if we can benefit from that time, clients will be much happier. They'll enjoy the process. Architects, designers have time to be creative and, and really dive into the project well. Um, so it, it feels like, and we're, we kind of drive that, you know, we're driving it by asking the questions, by asking for the details, by wanting more information versus, okay, we'll wait for the permit and see what happens and then we'll get started. You know, our process has allowed us to really begin the project months before the project actually begins on site. Now, these are big, multi-million dollar complex projects and, you know, being organized up front makes a huge difference, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. So last part of the show is always a few favorites. So I know you're an active person. What is your favorite active pursuit in the winter? You know, just being in the mountains in the wintertime is very special. Um, being outside and, um, you know, whether that's hiking the bowl or, or skinning or snowmobiling or just doing something in the backcountry, you know, that there's just a lot to do here and uh, it's, it's good to do it with family. What about when the seasons change and it's uh, summer focused? Um, well, summertime is mountain biking and, and surfing on the lake. It's obviously hiking. There's so many places to hike around here that it, it's absolutely mind boggling. You know, the kids and I and, and my wife have checked off a lot of peaks, bags and peaks, as we say. And, you know, there's 14ers and then there's mountains like Mount Sopris that are just really great, rewarding hikes. They're, you know, maybe a little less populated because the 14ers seem to be the ones everybody wants to conquer. For sure. And I know you're also a musician and um, it's a fun fact about you and you play in a local band. Do you have any upcoming shows? You know what? We, we, we haven't played a lot. Uh, over the last year, obviously with the pandemic, the person who owns our studio was particularly quarantined, I guess you could say. He really, you know, kept his, um, kept, kept the studio closed and, and things were on the down low. We've, you know, I've, I've maintained my chops at home on my own a little bit, but, you know, we're, we're starting to get back into it and hopefully that'll come back and get back to normal because that's definitely something I love to do. It's a good good uh, stress reliever, you know, remove me from my everyday existence and, and uh, get out of my, my normal zone. 
and um, it, it's you know but hopefully we'll get some stuff going for the summertime i feel like that's you know always the time to play music in the outdoor setting and um, i'm sure there's there's something in on the horizon <laughs> and for audience member anyone listening who might want to catch you what's the name of the band and what instruments do you play i play the bass and the name of our band is sport favor there you heard it, folks. Maybe you'll see a Spore Favor show coming up this summer at an outside venue now that things are opening up. I hope so. So if you so if you have a have a great uh client or somebody in town that you want to entertain that's really important, what what do you like to do with that client? I really, you know, I like to do stuff in the outdoors with clients. Um, you know, do a skin, do a, a road bike ride or a mountain bike ride, you know, stuff that that allows you to you know, enjoy what Aspen has to offer and also, um, you know, have time to talk and spend time together, um, get to know people, you know, what their personalities are like, you know, what, what makes them tick, what, you know, they like and dislike. I think it's, it's an important, it's an important thing to do in our business because, you know, a lot of times everything's so businesslike and um, the construction process, I feel like is, especially on, you know, somebody's vacation home or, or even their, their primary residence as they're becoming, um, it's, it's very personal. And, you know, if I understand people's passions and what makes them tick and their priorities and, and goals and stuff like that, it really helps, you know, us deliver what, what their goals are. Because, you know, my main role in the company is to help steer everybody's efforts and, you know, I, if I understand what people are looking for, I can, I can really achieve a lot for them. And, you know, going out and being able to just spend time, whether it's at somebody's house for dinner or a restaurant, um, you know, or, or going for a mountain bike ride or, or a hike or something like that. It, it's just time together um, to help get to know people and understand what they're, what they're, they're after. What about um, a nonprofit here in the Valley? Is there anything you're getting behind right now? We, you know, we're big supporters of ABSC, um, Aspen Valley Ski Club. I think it's very necessary to keep skiing at the heart of our community. It's it's how, you know, our town has thrived for so long. My wife works for the Aspen Education Foundation. All of our kids have participated in the Aspen Public School and, and Country Day Schools. Um, so we really support the schools a lot, too. All right. Final question. We're heading into the summer months now. It's going to be incredibly busy here in, in Aspen and all the mountain towns. And, you know, it sounds like from your perspective as a builder and a contractor, you are seeing record, you know, levels of, of work happening right now. How do you think the rest of 21 is going to unfold for you personally and your business? I think 2021 is going to be exceptionally busy. We've got a, a lot of work on the dockets. We've got projects we're pushing into 2022 to give them enough time and, and give us enough flexibility to meet their goals. Um, so I, I see, you know, the construction market staying strong, at least through next year, we're actually looking at some projects that will push into 23. So we're, you know, I think there's some strength in the market here. Um, I feel like there's great vitality and, and we're going to continue along this path. And if somebody listening wants to learn more about SH Built and SH Building Group, um, your company, what what's the best way to get in touch with you or find out more? You can certainly give me a call on my cell phone, 970-379-0520. Or you can look up our website, shbuilt.com. You know, check out our portfolio. It's just a small glimpse into our company. 
there's a lot more to to talk about than what we can present on a on a website. But um, you know, definitely feel free to call me and, and let's get together. Let's go for a bike ride. Thanks for listening to this episode of Selling the Mountains. You'll never miss an episode if you subscribe or follow the show. If you liked what you heard, please leave a short review and share it with a friend. For more information about Selling the Mountains, including feedback, suggestions, or sponsorship opportunities, please visit sellingthemountains.com and sign up for our newsletter. You can follow the show on Instagram or Facebook at Selling the Mountains. You can follow the host on Twitter at Christian Knapp or on Instagram at Napstagram. This show was produced in collaboration with Dustin H. James at Podborder. Selling the Mountains is a production of Moment of Truth, LLC. All rights reserved.